Beyond the Pixelway Yokoso, Watashi wa Technikaru Designer no Luis Fernando Des. Kochira mo a digital artist no Haken Des. Kenchan? That's a beat. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive. Very impressive. Thank Good you. Job. Good job. Thank you. So you're getting into the uh, Japanese Gotsu Tsushima mode. <laughs> exactly. I've taken all the Western Japanese <laughs> lessons I can learn from Gotsu Tsushima and I'm applying it directly <laughs> into this podcast. Nice. Um, I will now so perform the, the rest. Game? Not yet. The what? <laughs> Not yet. But I will now pronounce. Uh, but I will now perform the rest of the podcast entirely in haiku. <laughs> Beyond the pixel, a journey into life. We're gonna stop this now. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far as I can go. <laughs> nice. So you didn't. You, you didn't beat the game yet. So um, no, dude. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of. Uh, a lot of videos. I've been watching streamers play because I don't have a PS5 uh, or PS4 myself. I don't have a PS5 um, either. <laughs> very interesting and very interesting to see the, I don't know, to see the initial reactions. And then I think the reactions have changed a little bit, in my opinion. Oh, that'd but, be interesting to see. To see. I haven't seen but, anything from outside because I've just been so like focused on my own. Mm, okay. okay. Well, let's, let's get into it because uh, the topic itself... Just forget the topic, the theme of Ghost of Tsushima, I really, I have a, like a soft spot for because um, I'm a bit of a Japanese like folklore fan, but mm -hmm. I'm also a real, I have a like, real strong interest in the Mongol army. And uh, this is like, this is like based off of an actual event in terms of historic event that happened in Japan. Mm -hmm. Um so are you familiar with like this time era that's like uh, happening right now that takes place in Ghost of Tsushima? I looked it up when uh, when I heard people say this game is not as historically accurate. So I wrote, did Mongols mm -hmm. invade Tsushima? And mm -hmm. turns out, yes, they did invade mm -hmm. Tsushima. They did Twice. attack the Komoda <laughs> coast mm -hmm. and uh, they killed an army of 80 samurai and then mm -hmm. took over the island. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's based off a real event. Now, the the larger story about this whole that whole invasion was, and that's it's super famous. It's the where the legend of the kamikaze comes from, hmm. right? Because the both divine times wind. the the divine wind, uh, the translated version uh, version of that, because both times the Mongol army, the a more significant part of it, uh, were lost in storms while crossing the strait. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where the kind of holy divine wind idea came from. Because not only once, but twice, they, the whole island was saved from invasion. Like it's like seafaring at the time was notoriously dangerous, mm -hmm. like super, super dangerous. Um, they were based off of sail and like physical manpower to row your ship out of storms, which like the idea that you're really going to pull a stick and you're going to like pull a, a massive boat. Like the, I, the whole point is that um, they have very little thrust compared to like modern day boats. And so they would easily get uh, like uh, beach wrecked. Right. Mm. Um, so anyways, uh, I'll get bit, a bit more into the history of it, but um, what is your initial thoughts on the game, and, uh, and how far have you played so far? Okay. Okay. This is also going to be probably a spoiler warning for anyone, but uh, I won't. I won't spoil any any of the story. Um, I really want to talk about the story, though. I really want to talk about. the I'm story. I'm only halfway through it. 
as even well. just I've even just as far as you've gotten because okay. I think that even like let's just say we'll go past the first act okay just the first act okay. is fine for me okay, okay. Uh, but to start it off uh, before that uh, so Ghost of Tsushima is an open world samurai game essentially samurai slash ninja game and you are taking over taking back Tsushima after a Mongol invasion as one of the last samurai that survived the initial landing um it is very much an open world game in the sort of vein that you are used to seeing from assassin's creed for example you have a map it's populated with side objectives it's populated with ambient objectives and your main story quests and you go to markers uh in order to collect stuff you collect stuff you go to little side missions you upgrade your your mm-hmm. your weapons you get crafting materials in order to craft mm-hmm. better gear so you can take on better threats and mm-hmm. you engage in sort of heavy light stance based combat kind and for the typical, most your typical brawler like oh you have to fight a bruiser then a shielder then a dps dude etc etc yeah although they do have quite a lot of variety in the enemies mm-hmm. they they all have different tiers so that's mm-hmm. that's something good that they do. And and overall, I am enjoying the game a lot. I'm I'm thinking about it a lot about wanting to go and play it and thinking mm-hmm. about what I want to do next in that game. So mm-hmm. there definitely is an engaging component to it. Mm-hmm. The the problem that comes a part of it is that it has all these really high and oh man, I just realized the sound is is kicking off on this thing really loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's but that's right. okay. That's uh, okay. It's going to be fixed in post. Um, <laughs> the problem with it is, is that it has all these great ideas about how you want to navigate this open world. Uh, they use a lot of nature to guide you. So as you're galloping around on your horse, sometimes a bird will come down. And it'll do an audible chirp that that alerts you like, hey, this bird is around and this bird is going to guide you to something. It can be a special uh, hot springs bath, which will increase your maximum health and allow Jin to 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 reflect a little bit on what has happened in the story. Oh, is that where he does the haikus? No, that's a separate collectible. And that's like denoted (laughs) by a bunch of birds swarming on like outcropping. So you can go there and you can write a not haiku. (laughs) <laughs> so there's uh, parts in the in the game where you just go to meditate and then uh the main character gives this little haiku or yeah little sentence you, you, something you, you get to pick you get to yeah. pick you reach you reach this open and it shows you a nice beautiful landscape this game is gorgeous by the way in terms of its environment mm-hmm. um and then you Very have so. three 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 sentence options for each of the three stanzas and yeah. then you end up making something that resembles a haiku but is not really a haiku mm-hmm. <laughs> i found out I found a lot about haikus what do you about mean? Is reading that, do you mean online. Technically, it's not like it's technically not a so, haiku. <laughs> bit of a tangent. <laughs> Things I learned about haikus while playing this game and reading up what people had to say about about haikus before this game even came out. Haikus okay. are supposed to be snapshots about about a moment in time, and then a revelation based on those on those snapshots. Mm. It's a reflection, essentially. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, it is not based on concepts. And the moment mm. you sit down to write a haiku in this game, it says, reflect on perseverance, reflect on strife, which is not what a haiku is supposed to be about. Interesting. Uh, I would say that, that I, I feel like that that's probably maybe like 
the in the strictest terms how it got developed but it obviously became a poem and expression type of tool at some point you know like people took some liberties with it like they do with all art and it transformed into like mm-hmm. whatever a, a much more uh wider uh group of like expression right yeah but I do, I, I do find it interesting that it, that that's like uh, technically how it started in terms of uh, uh, what how what how haikus are or haikus are meant to be. Mm-hmm. And definitely, I've read articles that are read by haiku experts, and yeah. they 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 judge the quality of these haiku to be poor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely but, don't think that the strongest. <laughs> you don't think you think part. this computer generated haiku <laughs> from three different <laughs> options is, is going to generate high class poetry? <laughs> It's, regardless, it is, it, regardless, it, it, it's such a small point uh, yeah. uh, uh, of it. It's it's not really what I what I what I want to really focus on, on the game. Anyway, that's sort of the ambient objectives. There are there's also like shrines that you can go yeah. go and do platforming challenges to get yeah. uh, some gear that will upgrade like your your damage or or give you bonus resources that you can pick up uh, or or these foxes that you can follow around and they'll take you to these Inari shrines which will increase how many charms you can carry etc 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 and those are like the ambient objectives then you have the side tales of Tsushima which come in the flavors of being about characters which are awesome and then mm-hmm. the ones that are about uh, the villagers and more more generic side quests which are a little lackluster and usually end with you telling someone that their loved one died <laughs> <laughs> It's a war, uh, it's a- but I think they, they follow a lot of those like traditional samurai or Western storylines where you either save the villagers or, you know, you watch them in despair as and it drives you towards the big baddie at the end. Yeah, it, it definitely is supposed to imbue the sense that like, oh, these Mongols are ruining everyone's life or these <laughs> bandits are taking advantage of everyone and it all sucks. Sometimes Man, being you... invaded sucks. I thought it was going to be awesome. <laughs> They're going to meet new people and get killed by them. It's great. <laughs> so I think for me, it's qu- it was clear quite from the early on that the game is not nothing necessarily in terms of gameplay revolutionary. Uh, a lot of the concepts and gameplay has been seen in other games before. But I would also say it's very competently executed on almost most of the fronts, yeah. I would say. And I right? really enjoy being in that map and going mm-hmm. around and organically finding stuff. The best parts I have with this game is when I'm not looking at my map or when I mm-hmm. just say, I want to go to my objective. My ma- I want to do a main story objective here. So I'll set that mm-hmm. as my tracker. And then I'm okay getting lost on the way and doing other stuff. That's when, mm-hmm. that's when to me, I've had the most fun with this game. Mm-hmm. Because it even seems like their UI is meant to get out of your way. Yes, and Maybe. I think that's where some of the innovation that I think this game does bring to the fold is that complaint that I had about about those maps being way too full, right? And, and giving this in... stuff like dots everywhere, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And this gives you a very organic way to find that stuff, and they provide way more uh, side activities than you actually need to level up. Mm, so it's yeah. almost as if the game is something like. I started, I, I played the first act that way, just going through and doing whatever came across me, what, what made sense to me to do at first. I didn't look at the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I was, and I was still able to do all the objectives pretty, pretty straightforward with a reasonable level of difficulty. In act two that I am now, I started trying to collect everything. And I have topped out my entire, <laughs> almost all my skill trees and all my gear be- because yeah. I decided to focus on that. And I'm only halfway through the game. So it almost yeah. feels you're really not supposed to do that. 
right? Yeah, that reminds me of Far Cry. I did the same thing. In the second act, I was already, like, maxed out on all my ammunition. Yeah. And blah, 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 yeah. And, and it's interesting. But I think, yeah. Because it feels you're not supposed to do everything, and it definitely does. There is no tower that you climb and stuff populates. You, I really you, like that. I really like that. <laughs> you find everything organically, either through following nature or through, hey, these bandits are attacking, these Mongols are attacking people on the road. You rescue them, and then they say, oh, have you heard of this shrine that's over here? The Mongols have taken it over. Okay, I'm going to go and reclaim that from them. And then it pops yeah. on your map, and then you can set a waypoint, and then the, the wind guides you. There's no waypoint on it. You just yeah. press a button, and then the wind. There are so many particles in this game, Ken. I know. There I, are so I many noticed. particles. It is amazing. You <laughs> never Japan really feel like lost, and you don't have to check your map because... You can, you can scroll up on the touchpad, and then a gust of wind will blow particles in direction. But even if you don't do that, the breeze will lightly bend stuff in that direction. Mm -hmm. So you can just find your way around in an extremely organic way. And, and I think that is the, that is the big achievement in, in this game. And I feel if it had a little, <laughs> if, if it was a little less focus tested, <laughs> let's be honest. What? Focus tests? What do you mean? I'm, uh, I'm curious, I, I feel like a lot, a lot of the stuff that came about in this game that I don't like is a result of, of metrics needing to be hit. We need X amount of hours. We need players to oh, understand exactly what they're doing at this amount of oh, time. Dev they need to not get lost. They need to, they need to feel yeah. like they are progressing at a certain pace like that. Yeah. Like, it is a competent game, but the problems that I had the most of it is when I'm doing... The most glaring example I can think of is in Act 2, you get a, a mythic quest. Mythic quests are, are, are one of the quests that give you gear or give you a special technique. And they usually start with you learning of a legend from, from a musician. So this one is about the legendary warrior Gusaku, who was only a peasant, but he found this legendary samurai armor. And suddenly, bandits came to attack his farmstead. And he, no one would defend them, so he put on this armor... And he found that no one could touch him. And he defeated all these bandits because the spirit of the samurai who had oh, the armor found courage. This, yeah. And they kept saying the guy's it. name like a million times, yeah. right? And the story Do you know was... why? Do you know <laughs> why they always said his name, Gosaku, all the time? Oh, because here's what you had to do to get Gosaku's armor. What? You had to backtrack to Act 1 and liberate farmsteads, which is this new objective they made specifically for this quest. And it is Sounds a like hostage a... rescue objective. So there's peasants that are being held by Mongols. And if they detect you, they will go and try to kill them. Right, so you right, have to like... go and, and attack those Mongols stealthily. And if you get caught, you then have to protect the, the peasant before they get killed. Mm -hmm. And they're scattered all over the place. They don't have markers on them. So you just have to wander around this big farmstead. And all the enemies are low level at this point because they're in Act 1 and you have been taking on enemies that are three tiers above them who are a lot stronger, have more attacks. It is boring. It is repetitive. I wanted to just get out of the way. So I just put a marker on all these farmsteads and all I did was fast travel to the closest spot, take my horse over there, didn't stop for anything along the way. <laughs> I just checked off the list. Right. And that was, that was boring. That was not enjoyable in in the slightest because it was incredibly repetitive and it took up maybe two to three hours of my time with Ooh. this game was it an optional quest or it is it, it a required well quest? do you want the armor of gosaku 
Not I want the armor of Kasaku Ken. It, it apparently <laughs> is in, invulnerable. I wanted to see what that was about. So I guess you're saying that you're upset that it made you do something boring. To, to get like, something to cool. Do, yeah. Right? They, There's like, only a handful like, of armor sets in this game. <laughs> and instead of hiding... And all the other mythic quests were, 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 were pretty cool. Right? Um, I guess the, the, the main problem there is just the backtracking idea. I, I wonder if they do it so that... Because like, it doesn't seem that there was a lot of these kind of missions where you went backwards, right? Where you went backwards to kill... Like, no, but there's already dudes. a lot of content there. Why would they send you back there? There's another would, mythic I, quest that's identical that takes place in Act 2. And you have to go to the certain spots and duel, 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 duel Ronin. I, uh, right? I would surmise that I bet you some people find enjoyment in going back and slaughtering fools after they've leveled up. But even on that level, RPG. it's not enjoyable because you have to assassinate them stealthily. Otherwise, you have this punishing objective of, no, you got to run and, and kill these, these guys. Also, there are six of them with three hostages each. I, I, I'm not denying the fact that it's probably going to be pretty boring, but my, my, my guess would be that's why they added something like that where they went. Like, why else would you, in an RPG-style game where you level up and stuff uh, with your gear, send you backwards? It, they, they used to do that when Metroidvania-type games, and then suddenly all those dudes that you fought at the beginning were way easier. Or, like, RPGs, like old Final Fantasy games that have quests to take you back. Yeah. And then you, like... you. you I, and I I got the same sense as you, especially in those RPG quests, because I was like, man, you literally are just a like a a pressing as fast as you can to get through the fights, because all you have to do is like punch them to death, right? Mm -hmm. Here's um, the thing, though, it, it, we're gonna have to, I'm gonna I, I've been prepping for a while to do a a Metroidvania uh, slideshow like one of yours for for oh, one nice. of these because this is backtracking something that I take. Very seriously, not offense yeah. because I take offense to it. I because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Because we have we we have sort of lost the good benefit of backtracking. And the, the thing that I always pointed out with Castlevania, here's a preview. Uh, the thing I I always point out about Castlevania Symphony of the Night is that when you backtrack in Symphony of the Night, it's not just to kill enemies and go back. You always have a purpose. Because you have some sort of ability that also enables you to backtrack faster. Mm -hmm. For example, that you get the wolf form. There and there's a there's a hallway that you have to cross in that in that game. And there's I all these high level enemies. And you can I blitz through game, them. Yeah. But I would also uh, counterpoint for your later discussion is that the backtracking wasn't invented for that. That was a smart evolution of backtracking. Mm -hmm. But I think backtracking first came in was the you know older school days where developers were looking to pad out game times like you were just talking about mm -hmm. and so they forced players to go back and forth a little bit because it generated content for whoever needed to write down that metric mm -hmm. but then i think it it obviously came to a point where you're like okay this could ruin your game if you make players constantly have to do this right well the thing you uh, the thing to make it work right and, and which goes to shima does not is that you have to give meaningful purpose to it and fighting the lower level enemies should not be the point, mm -hmm. right? That should just yeah, be a yeah. bonus. That should, that should just be reflecting like, oh my god, I feel a lot stronger now. But that shouldn't be the point for you to be backtracking. Well, in that case, the point is for you to get the armor. Right? Yes, but it has nothing to do with getting the armor. It, it, is, it, is, it is an objective it, that unlocks the armor, but it doesn't... Yeah. You're, not, you're not experiencing something different. When you're backtracking in, in Symphony of the Night, 
mm-hmm. you're going through levels in wolf form, you're getting a benefit of like understanding how the wolf form works and where you're supposed to use it. Because there's other mm-hmm. sections later on in the game with harder enemies that you can also sort of blitz through in wolf form. But because I, you, I, I because your you're first situation, about, yeah. it's like you, like you learn yeah. something about yourself and your abilities yeah. by by doing yeah. it. Whereas yeah, games like God of War and Ghost of Tsushima, these are just keys that you get to unlock stuff, right? right? But that it, was that the experience one. Was that just that one it. quest, or what do you think? Was that a majority of the quests that are like that? You're going back and killing a bunch of randos. I'm only halfway through, and this is the only one that specifically sent me back to Act One, and that's mm-hmm. the one that I found most egregious. There's a similar quest, like I said, where you have to fight Ronan, but that mm-hmm. is a new activity. They. Yeah. This is a perfect disposition, actually, because it is yeah. the exact same quest structure. Go through yeah. these six things to unlock okay. this special thing. Oh, oh the corgi. The corgi is making a mess. Yeah, so I that's a better one. execution, right? Yeah, and, and that second one where you're fighting the Ronin, when you mm-hmm. go and fight them, those are unique fights in interesting locations with unique characters, with yeah. unique dialogue, and even special moves. Mm-hmm. That you that you don't encounter anywhere else. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get the part that it's boring to fight old like old old opponents. I was just my whole point was just how how bad is that situation? If it's one quest out of so so, I'm like, you know, one quest designer decided to say let's try this, and then if it works, it works. It doesn't, it doesn't. Um, yeah, I'm much more concerned. Like the whole thing about Ghost of Tsushima in terms of the the kind of conflict that happened, I guess online early on was like people were. I think people were expecting a very much a Sekiro type game. Uh, oh. It being obviously a similar type of like theme. And then people were expecting combat to be a bit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's a much more cookie cutter combat, um, you know, gameplay wise. Like we all, these, all the things we mentioned, like there's nothing in there that's actually like uh, gameplay new. Like what, what, sorry, I can't remember. I always forget the name of that Star Wars game that came out recently. Did, um, Fallen Order. Jedi Fallen, Fallen Order. Fallen Order, right? So Fallen Order is a very similar gameplay for game than, as, as that, right? I would say Fallen Order is a much smaller version. Ghost of Tsushima mm-hmm. executed, uh, executed better in, in a lot of senses. And I, I love Fallen Order just because it's so, it was so fresh, but it also had like major, major issues. Yeah. And I wasn't and, a, f- I wasn't a fan of exploring those worlds, and I wasn't Dude. a fan of the combat either. The combat had glimpses, but then, uh, like we were saying, it's stuff that other games have done already, and yeah. like quote unquote better, right? And for mm-hmm. me, a lot of it was just being in that universe was a big deal. Yeah. But like, like the to compare, if you compare it to Ghost of Tsushima and Fallen Order, and you can just see that like what a difference uh you can do if you just execute on everything that everyone else has done but just do it as well or or slightly better than them right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think that ghost of Tsushima as a package is is much much more complete mm-hmm. um and then it also has uh i would say like one s tier category and then all the other t- categories that i can kind of rank the game in or kind of like a b kind of average yeah. uh, AAA title I would say like and, like the environment is definitely the the standout for me the environment and the traversal yeah. and and the well, combat is also while it's not very different, I think it is diverse and flexible in a way that I enjoy just experimenting with. I would like to give you a theory, and you can back me up of whether you think this theory is wrong, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so my idea of what's S tier is their art execution, mm-hmm. right? Um, that includes the backgrounds and the environments, which is key. 
Um, but in terms of the combat, what makes it interesting to me and what I attribute to the art side is actually the, the animation is super clean in terms of the, the type of fighting stances that you're getting mm. and the cinematic camera and usage that they like just have naturally. It's very easy to find cinematic moments in that game, especially while you're fighting, right? Mm -hmm. They have gameplay execution problems and coding execution problems in terms of the combat and like if you watch a like a, a twitch video rather than like this uh this kind of trailer stuff that we have mm -hmm. um you see a lot of like foot floating and like wrong-footed animations and you're jumping and it looks kind of awkward yeah but then the moments where they sequence uh the animation like you like like you know in uh arkham asylum when you trigger a double block or something, it goes into like a set animation, right? That mm -hmm. kind of like magnetizes your hand. I mm -hmm. think those animations are like S tier in terms of what they or what they do. But then the execution is a bit off in terms of um, maybe like how the programming works or how smooth it like mm. snaps together. Mm. Um, but I think that's what kind of, for me, every time I saw something that was impressive about the game, it hits something about the art side or like it hit, I could pinpoint an element to the art side that I like uh, would say is the thing that is key to it. Um, so like we like I mentioned, like the animation for that. But that, almost, th that's the thing that said stand out for me was like this game seemed to be really art focused first, like art and story, because I kind of intertwined those two. And then they just said, let's make everything else like generic, but good. Mm hmm. Right. What do you I, think about I, that? I agree, and I, I I think the important thing to 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 note is the combat. The dis the disjoint between the art and the combat, like you have these nice animations, but sometimes it doesn't link up. I mm. think is also into the favor of how snappy and it, the combat is. Mm -hmm. It's extremely mm -hmm. responsive in That's ways good. that, um. Like the Witcher, for example, the way you oh, move, yeah, the yeah. way you move around in the Witcher is very rigid, or, or Red Dead Redemption. It's very the animation priority yeah. is extremely high. This mm -hmm. game also has the best controlling horse I've played. Oh, <laughs> in, hey! In it, it feels that horse will will not <laughs> screw you over in, in most situations, <laughs> and you can turn it around on a dime, and like it looks nice when it goes. It, when it goes, yeah. it doesn't do, do like the. I found the the mounting animation was was smooth. Like other games, it's so like rigid to get on your horse. Like you have to like get there, stand still, wait for the prompt to come up so the animation will line up properly or some crap like that. The control feel in this game is is very good, and and I think that's when you get the disjoint in the animation is because they they do seem to prioritize the the flexibility. So yeah. you can interrupt any attack that you start doing, like you're going for a heavy strike, and then you mm -hmm. realize, oh crap, this is not going to hit. You hit block. That animation cancels in a weird uh, way, yeah, but you will yeah. block the attack, and that gives right. it a very good combat feel. Yeah. Similarly, the way things change sometimes won't won't look nice because because uh, you're jumping. because they're on different levels. Yeah. But you will still get they will still hit. Yeah. And you still get the, the auto effect of the clinking and the clanking and the controller vibration, right? And all that fits together to make it, even when it looks wonky, it still feels great. And yeah. you don't notice it while you're playing it so much. So I had a conversation about uh, this exact topic with an animator friend. And he was just telling me that um, it, there's always a combat of the animators between uh, control 
and looking good like we're talking about mm-hmm. and like the feel of the, the the best feeling games are the ones that react immediately to your controls right mm-hmm. and then the worst ones that you just mentioned like the witcher the big problem the witcher is that they have these swings and you know the button press is just like square 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 or whatever the button it is mm-hmm. but they have these animation swings that take over your character for long periods of time while it's moving your character into a set position because the animation's like on a rail and so it feels terrible because one you can never cancel out of those animations so you never mm-hmm. have a chance to uh feel like you have control mm-hmm. um and then two, like the animations often miss because like you don't know where the sword's going to go. Like your character is doing a swing that's going to swing like three feet to the right of you. And you have no idea because you're just mashing this button. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I found it interesting that or I found it like a good thing that it, they allow you to do those animation cancels. I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's more important in a game to have that kind of control because you forget that, that that's still the main input method that you that your players have, right? It also I hate depends to make it sloppy. on Yeah, it also it also depends on the game though because you have games like Monster Hunter and uh Dark Souls where mm. animation priority is part of the gameplay as well. Yes, so you yes. know as soon as you commit to an attack, mm-hmm. you 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 are committed to that attack. You're going to follow yep. it all the way through and your animation is going to end. Mm. And that's that's similar to how fighting games work in a way like fighting games are all about canceling your animation right yeah but if you whiff an attack in a fighting game you're watching that entire animation play out Mm -hmm. and your recovery flames afterwards and that's the part of those animation priority games like like witcher and dark souls and monster hunter is understanding your move and where it's going to put you they use that as part of the learning curve now with a game like uh like ghost of tsushima and batman where where the punchiness of the combat and the reactivity uh, being able to like see something coming at you and being able to block immediately because your reflexes it's reflex heavy it's not mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not a premeditated in, the, in a sort um, of way the whole programming and animation uh system has to be built up from scratch to, to react to the player's input I- instead mm-hmm. of reacting to the animation instead right mm-hmm. and that's what you see in like uh arkham asylum spider-man anything where you're doing reactive counters uh or like ghost or shadow of mordor like Shadow there's lots of yeah. times where what they do is they have these uh, like attachment points on everyone's limbs, right? And then when Spider-Man's going to block two guys, they magnetize the limbs onto mm-hmm. his hands, so it looks super snappy. Um, but this goes back to what we were talking about in in, in Spider-Verse is that if you're if you're talking about something that happens in one or two frames, you can get away with with a lot, like a lot, as long as the main gesture's there, then everything else can be almost get thrown out the door. Mm-hmm. So in Spider-Man. Or, and in Batman, you just feel like a badass when it happens, and it looks like it's proper because you don't actually know what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. It happens in a couple of frames. And it's yeah. interesting because that is, <laughs> again, it goes back to, to what we always go back to of how playing a game is so much more important than, than watching it. You watch Ghost of Tsushima combat, and you're like, well, this looks like <laughs> like like these animations are all over the place, and like everyone's clipping through everything. But you play the game, and you have a blast. I will say, though, that the... The environment and the camera work, and we I talked to the last time about how important camera work in games is becoming. Um, it makes it so that everything you're looking like is so easy to look at. Mm-hmm. Like there had there's even the quest areas that were side quest areas that I was looking at. Like they had a lot of landscape planned moments that mm-hmm. you're just like opening up into, and you're like, wow, this 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 place looks so amazing, or. There's nowhere that feels kind of boring. Whereas if you're exploring, even The Witcher, which I thought was like one of the most amazingly built environmental games, has its moments where you're going across the land 
and you're just like oh this just looks like a boring place like you're looking for places that are more interesting whereas Ghost of Tsushima seem to have been able to narrow their map size down enough so that they can handle having a lot of these like cinematic areas mm-hmm. um, they also managed to put the entirety of Japan's biodome <laughs> Into a single <laughs> island. I know. Which is, <laughs> yeah. Which is they kind took, of funny. They took but a lot of liberties. They took a, it's like, like you, you'd be in the middle of nowhere. In the and south, like, where are all these leaves coming from? <laughs> in the south, it is spring. In the middle, it is opt- autumn. Up north, it is winter. <laughs> What's it's ironic though is like Japan as an island itself has very extreme weathers. So like if you're on the midland, you might see this across the year right but not mm. like in one place yeah um but it, but you know it, it's it, it it pays it pays off that game is an absolute joy to explore mm-hmm. there is there is i i thought like you i saw act one and i'm like okay most of the game is gonna look like it i go to act two and there is there is swamps there is valleys there is canyons there is it's a completely different mm-hmm. biosphere than than in the than the first act and that was such a joy to like see and be like oh i'm excited once more to explore this new land and and see what's what's out there i know what's out there because i've done all the side (laughs) missions but it's gonna look Uh cool while i'm doing it. it's gonna look interesting it's gonna be a pleasure to explore so when i first saw the game though like as the first i was watching some streamers play through the first act i wasn't that impressed with the first act i think it actually has kind of a weak first act it has a week to first two hours for sure yeah like it's it doesn't present you with anything new and it and the fact that we've seen so many of these different gameplay elements before i think hurts because it's like you're just you're worried that it doesn't bring anything new um but i i think the turning point is definitely after the end of act one and where i wanted to get the spoiler because it it was the turning point for me is Hmm. when um so there's a couple things i want to talk about well and i want to see if it was just me because i have like i was saying i have a fascination with the mongols and um what i one thing i loved about this game is that it does a great job of historical portrayals in terms of its artistic design in terms of like the the character faces for example they look like the ethnicity it's hard to do for a bunch of western like people like you know like i i don't expect a lot of western companies to be able to do it um so anyways um i was really impressed by that but so what happens at the end of chapter one um when you have uh your i i want to make sure that can you tell me what happens at the end of chapter one because i don't want to spoil it in case i'm thinking of a different moment that's incorrect uh at the end of chapter one I wonder if we we should have like a little spoiler sign. Yeah, here. yeah. this is I've already uh, this is spoiler spoiler. Um, whatever. Spoiler. <laughs> at a so your objective in Act One is to rescue your uncle who was held captive by the Mongol leader Kotun Khan mm-hmm. in, in this castle that bridges between Act One and Act Two, yeah. and you go there and you rescue your uncle. Right. Pretty basic stuff. No surprises. That's Wait. it. Hmm. Okay. Hold on. Let me just quickly look this up. It might be the end of a different act. There's only two of them. There's only three of them. So there's only three of them. I was like, wait a minute. There's definitely more than two. I meant. Um, I meant. There's. There's. There's two points where you could spoil. It. Oh. Okay. What isn't there a point in in the uh, end of the act where the uh, Mongol leader, the Khan, uh. No, you okay? You haven't met the Straw Hats yet, right? Yeah, I've met the Straw Hats. Have you done everything? Yeah, you, you're, have... you, you, yeah, I've gone through the thing that you're thinking about, where where his friend does the thing. Yes. Okay, okay. I want that's the point I wanted to spoil it to, because that's the point that I was like, goddamn, it's it's actually gotten to a pretty good story. 
Um, okay, so we're ready. Really, said that's the part warrior, that I felt right? was like most predictable. I wouldn't say it's not that it's not predictable, but I would say that there's it, more going on than just the invasion. Yeah, well, I just it's it, it's the first time that I ma- I cared about the characters because even though it's predict, I don't like for me. I personally value how they executed that type of story. So okay, we should just get into the story part. So. You meet. This is when you kind of you meet the Straw Hats, and then you're supposed to help them out. And then there's a confrontation that leads your best friend, and you have to fight, right? And the whole point mm-hmm. is that he Be- because he wants he he needs food for his men, so he yeah. he's going to yeah. help the Mongols because they promised yeah. him food. So then after he gets defeated, the part the part that I particularly thought was uh, cool and like a good story in the whole Mongol business is that. Um, he gets the Mongol uh, Khan gets him to uh, either light the own his his own farm people or villagers on fire or open the gates to the Mongol and allow them to like take over this fortress or whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. So the the things that I liked about the game is that you don't have to know a lot of these historical accuracies, but you can tell the studio really delved deep into the different cultures, histories, and got correct the mannerisms and how the how uh how these rulers and conquerors acted the mongols are uh during this period are at the height of their civilization they Mm. have become single they have become undisputedly the strongest and largest empire the world has ever seen Mm. after conquering china and literally no this is after genghis khan it's kublai khan this is yeah this is following genghis khan um and then this is during or after kublai khan's era because kublai khan took over uh, all of china which is a feat that i don't think has actually been uh, that's ever happened b- uh, besides this one this one time in Mongol history. And then they're set on taking the island of Japan next, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there, at this point, there had already been a, like, his, a plethora of evidence to showcase how the Mongols acted, and the Mongols acted uh, very much in this type of turn-your-own-people-against-you warriors, like mm-hmm. a type of like uh, strategy. They're, they, they were the kind of definitely the antithesis of the samurai honor and it was very interesting to get them to for them to find this one moment in history where they did have a like conflict and then showcase the differences between the culture right and so you're going to be getting into this and as the game progresses and i think it's already kind of clear the themes of honor are heavily portrayed as a key point of the story right Mm -hmm. like there's all this talk about like in your flashbacks, what's an honorable kill and what's dishonorable. Well, at the same time, it constantly gets you to do stealth ninja mechanics, right? Mm. And, and the, so, I like, like the first time they first time that you do one, it makes a flashback. Like the first yeah. time you assassinate someone, it makes a flashback to the flashback. Yeah, that, that's yeah it, you're like, like, wait, what? How deep are we going? When we kill, we look our enemies in the eye. <laughs> and then you're like, and then and then nope. like it cuts back to gameplay, and then Jim's like, sorry, mm, nah, <laughs> this is much easier. <laughs> And um, this is so I love this whole concept. First off, it's a great uh, it's a great connection between your your main character and the, the world around him. And so for me and the gameplay, because it's considerably easier exactly. to use those tools in combat. Yes, you want to use those tools because they're kind they're of so overpowered. Effective. They they're are so overpowered. incredibly <laughs> overpowered. I can clear out an yeah. encampment with just yeah. my sword. Sure, I've done it. But I use like two sticky bombs and everyone's dead. Yeah. 
It's there's amazing. like th- there's like a smoke bomb that stuns everyone, so you can like and you just run around and stab them. It's yeah, it, just yeah. like in Assassin's Creed. It is. It makes the game a cakewalk. So I uh, you I feel get back dirty. To this whole idea of honor, right? Because then I think one of the keys to having a strong story in any game, and you can kind of relate it to The Last of Us as well, is that the character, your main character's environment, needs to reflect the internal struggle that they are going through, and that's a part of their entire story arc Mm. you know and with in the last of us ellie it's the idea of like the world is crumbling and how do you keep your morality right right just like when your own morality has to crumble and like what do you decide to keep and what do you decide to like let go of for whatever reasons Mm -hmm. right and for this one it's the theme of honor and so it's very important that the environment is constantly questioning this part of Jin's personality and and growth right and so the reason I love that they picked this moment in time is because the Mongols were notorious for always, always, they would come up to a settlement and they would give the settlement two options. They would say either you surrender right now, right? And then they would enslave your entire population and it was like a no uh, no term surrender or they would literally, or they would kill everyone. And when we say kill everyone, historically it's been said, but usually it's been, it's like, oh, you know, they killed all the soldiers and the people scattered around. The Mongols made it a point to devastate and to kill everyone, including the dogs and animals of a village, right? And it was their whole strategy was to incite so much terror into the populace because they were going up like massive kingdoms like China. It had huge territories and, and, and um, multiple different nations that they would scare the future combatants so that they wouldn't lose as many warriors because they wouldn't have to take these cities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the early days of the Mongolian army, they didn't have siege weapons. They came from they came from horse archers, and so they were great on the open field, could destroy almost any army. But whenever it came to cities, they would always have to find other ways to, to spare their own soldiers. And they would do things like they would um, take... Oftentimes, a castle will be surrounded by its local populace, the farmer lands and the kind of smaller village, but there will be one stronghold in the middle. So then when a castle is under siege, they would take control of their entire population and force the population to attack the walls so that the soldiers inside would have to fight people that they knew they could recognize. Mm. Um, right, and, th- and that caused like tons of dilemma. So they, in a sense, were the exact opposite of the samurai, which have this at this point in time have a very strict code of ethics around war. Um, and so it's very interesting to bring the Mongol Empire, because they could have done any point of Japan with the samurai, right? Like, and especially samurai versus samurai, which has been done like all the time. But to bring mm. the Mongols in is such a great juxtaposition because it forces Jin to decide whether he wants to use these essentially losing but traditional tactics or give up, you know, a big part of himself to survive and, 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 and deal with the realities of war, right? Yeah. Although uh, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day whether you do or not. In the in gameplay wise, you mean, right? No, in story wise, in gameplay it absolutely does because it makes your life a lot easier if you do. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um. But, but it's story not wise, you mean the like, story is the story is gonna go the way it's gonna go. Yeah. There's no, no like matter, you get to no choose this you or you get to choose. Well, I would say that the the conflict is for the character, not for the player. Mm-hmm. Right. This is mm-hmm. where your character is meant to. You just is meant to see the idea of him having to struggle between 
one or the other, right? It just doesn't seem like he struggles a lot, though, right? <laughs> like, like, I think. He, I, it, well, it, I think that that's the point. Like, I think, I think that I don't think we're supposed to believe in honor. I think the whole idea of honor for most of Westerners is 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 derelict, right? Like, it's well, not also applicable. in Akira Kurosawa movies, like, uh, or, or 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 even any other Japanese. I, I watched Harakiri, the remake, again re- recently. I seen the original <laughs> yeah, nice. Harakiri. Yeah. Uh, Harakiri is a movie that's all about proving how how bullshit how how uh how meaningless honor is in mm-hmm. an era mm-hmm. where where there is no war. It's set in the Meiji period, right? Where where Japan yeah. knew like a long era of peace and all samurai were were pretty much like laid off unless yeah. they were held as as retainers. Yeah. Um and and there's this notion of honor for all these samurai who have never fought in a war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these old samurai who who are like broken and can't even fight anymore. And they're yeah. preserving this idea of honor in a world where they're letting poor people starve. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's another way to like discuss how silly that idea was. And the whole idea of honor is it's essentially like a flower that can only grow in, in a greenhouse. Because uh, the whole concept of honor in Japan was only applicable because they were an island nation that was warring with each other and so insular. Mm-hmm. That they didn't have to ever worry about uh, a nation like like the Mongols dealing with it. Whereas a country like Jap- like China, China, I don't think had that same level because they always had to deal with large, large kingdoms at their door that you're trying to break them up. You know, the history of China is... We call it the, the you know the romance of the three kingdoms, right? Because yeah. China's just I been played known Dynasty be, Warriors. <laughs> China's been known to be fractured for so long, up until a defining point where they were able to like unify, right, for a while, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think that was an interesting. I think it's a great, interesting way to explore, like, yeah, um, aside of, aside of like the like because like the Last Samurai, that movie with Tom Cruise, right? I mm-hmm. love that movie, but it glorified that idea to no ends right and mm-hmm. um getting into my own little history buff with japan this isn't at, so another thing that i wanted to put before i say my next point is that j- the japanese audience seemed to love it like mm. it's very well received in japan in terms mm. of its ability to i think and i think the reason it, it's done well in japan is because it's playing off a theme that all of japan has kind of culturally gone under which this isn't the first time that japan has had to rethink its idea of honor it's had to do it so many times. Like you mentioned um, that exact time period where um, Japan finally coalesced into one emperor empire, right? Mm-hmm. And then there wasn't general war in the country anymore. So this whole class of warrior lords, samurai, had nothing to do. And so during that period, this is the period just before World War One, where Japan had to modernize, right? They had to integrate all of their warrior culture into the rest of the population. They had to become like... You know your your farmers and your politicians mm-hmm. and your educators and this middle class that grew up afterwards, and, but the also, samurai yeah. creed was was specifically chosen from the government. Um, they picked one particular subsect of samurai like bushido ideology that fit with the government's need, which is uh, patriotism and like and uh, uh, nationalism, duty, right? nationalism, right? Um, and they infused that into their population. But the point I'm making about the next time that Japan had to deal with this idea with honor was World War II, when their whole aggressive samurai style spilled out onto the world, and it led to, you know, in Japan, 
uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki are defining moments in the culture, right? That mm. really not just be, not just those two moments, but the fact that the war took and killed so many of their samurai spirit people. I think that the whole population had a, at some point had to rethink what does it mean to be to live with this idea of honor that has been diffused into the entire culture and society, mm. right? So mm. I think that's why it resonated so well in Japan, and I think that's one of the things that's often missed in in the gaming world about the difference in what goes well in Japan and what does well in the West, is mm-hmm. that there are often these themes that are just so poignant to their particular culture. This idea of like this is when I was talking about Akira. You know, Akira is about um, post nuclear world, right? And that's directly influenced from also the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. I found that really, really interesting, and I think that's like if you can see it from that particular lens, you can mm-hmm. see like this one, like how how this game for me, which is like I would say it's a good game, but I don't even think it's a game of the year game. I think it's a good game, like that's worth playing. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I I like it a lot, and I recognize it has a lot of problems. It's not I'm not gonna tell someone to run out and buy it <laughs> like like Last of Us Two, but I, yeah. I I really I really do like the game. Yeah. And, but I think I can see for a certain audience, if this is specifically made for Japan, it would be an amazing game. Just mm. like I would, just like how like um, the difference between like Black Panther is to a black audience versus like everyone, uh, just a general audience, right? There's cultural significance to to the story that they're telling that resonates in a very strong way. So here's here's the interesting thing because pre prior to the release of the game, when I was still reading articles, it yep. was the people were very critical about this being a western game mm-hmm. with a very western notion of of honor that was still you almost can see how, glor- right? you glor- can see how. glorifying it in 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 a, in, a, in a way uh because when you look at the character of of Jin Sakai he is Rambo he's kind of a <laughs> yes but also he is he's a little dopey uh in like... in in a, in, a, in a certain way like he he definitely he definitely feels like he has to to care for for all these peasants, and he's very like, you know, you no know, honor is about protecting the weak and, and etc. But mm-hmm. but the peasants like also outsmart him a little bit at some point. <laughs> yeah, they 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 do a lot more than than he like, gives them credit yeah, for. Yeah, sa- same with same with like Yuna. Yuna is is a peasant, and and like I think she's the one that starts to make Jin Jin turn and recognize the the peasant class a little bit more as like these are important people that are are ultimately going to help us take mm-hmm. Batsushima not these samurai and i want to add you know also i think plays the role of like um the option that honor does not allow mm-hmm. right like she she f- explores all the options in terms of gameplay that are dishonorable like all of her missions are stealth missions yeah. she's she's the one that gets Jin to to like kill someone from behind for the first yeah time. exactly right exactly <laughs> so and, and that's another great storytelling mechanism is that you have characters that are around your main character that embody uh, people who are either living the alternate option that they need to see, right? Um, uh, so I, you know, that that criticism could be like there is some validity because it could be that this is a Western take in terms of it's a system that really tries to shine a different light on honor, whereas you know you see in movies like you know the Great Kurosawa, like they 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 present honor in a very glorious way and it's on a very good side. You know, it's always like the um, the 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 really loyal uh, Ronin that gets uh, that needs to find a master that's like w- like worthy of his services or whatever, right? It's always for the side of good. Where I, I, I think don't know if Kurosawa a... trends on that though. His his movies are usually like I think a Rashomon, right? 
which is mm, all about true. how how Rashomon is a movie where it's almost like a crime investigation about uh about this man that gets murdered uh, on a road and they're trying to figure out what actually happened and everyone has different roles of the story the whole theme about that is like is there any good and truth left in this world mm-hmm. and, and even the one good person in that movie also ended up in that crime scene lying that he saw it so he could <laughs> steal a dagger and sell it but for money but, but but that was that particularly related to the whole concept of honor no, oh, really? and I'm trying to remember if there was any Akira Kurosawa movie that I saw that was about I don't think honor. That, I don't think Kurosawa necessarily had direct statements on, uh, you know, the samurai concept of honor. Yeah. But the I, two I ones would that say I saw like... that, that, that did was, was Sword of Doom mm-hmm. um, and, Seven and Harakiri, which what about, were, were, which what were about, not Akira Kurosawa movies. What about uh, Seven Samurai? Seven right. Samurai didn't seem so much about honor because there was nothing honorable in in them defending the peasants. They 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 well, he even says he even says when he introduces them, I want to do this mission. There is there is no glory in it. It is purely to help peasants. Yeah, but then the whole idea for honor in Kurosawa is that it's not about glory. Like honor is this higher concept of doing mm. good, right? And I mm. would argue that there's another point in that movie where he has a lord that he's friends with. And mm-hmm. the Lord makes the sacrifice of denying the bad guys crossage of this bridge. But then in order to do so, he can That's 13 Hadikiri. assassins. No, no, no. This isn't Severin Samurai. This is like a part of the storyline of the, the, the band of attackers that are about to attack the village was like a part of this, uh, from this one particular Lord. Right. Um, and then a friend of him, the, the only way that they were able to force the bad guys into like a particular location was because he had a friend lord that blocked passage. But then, are you sure it's the... not Thirteen Samurai? I don't remember that because because in Seven Samurai, wait, seven... wait, wait, sorry, yeah. Thirteen Samurai, sorry, no, samurai. Uh, Thirteen Assassins is the one where they're trying to kill the one guy to get them into the village. It, that 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 is going to ruin the government of of Japan. Seven oh, Samurai is the one where where they go where, protect where the village, these patent, right? Yeah, Seven Samurai is the one where they're protecting the village from bandits. Thirteen Assassins is the one where they rig a village to do a surprise mm, attack to kill to kill mm, someone. You're that right. one, that one, 13. yes, is about honor. Yes. That yes. one, yes, so, yeah. So that's my exact point. Sorry, you're a hundred percent correct. Um, <laughs> but exactly, Seven point Samurai, is that... Thirteen Assassins. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they, the the whole the whole point still stands. The, I think that thing is even though I think it's also because. Kurosawa is talking to uh, it's coming from a Japanese side where honor is so naturally ingrained as good that mm-hmm. you don't have to point it out as much because there wasn't any question of that he was going to commit hirikiri on the on the bridge right like that whole the whole honor system was kind of that was not an Akira present- Kurosawa movie <laughs> yeah sorry yeah the whole whole idea was that it's presented as a thing that like the if you he did it because he was good and if he didn't do it he would be bad and the bad guy is bad because he wouldn't do it right like. Yeah. He was, I think in that yeah, I think even is given the choice at some point, right, and decides to like run or something. Am I thinking a different bad guy movie? Uh, maybe I I'm pretty sure in that one he just gets into a fight and then like the the, the main character yeah. is just like <laughs> and now you die. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I think I do think that you know I I think it's very interesting that Ghost of Tsushima takes a different take on it and takes a take that's like you know what is the shortcomings of you know being good because we all know that being evil has stronger like forced ramifications in, mm-hmm. especially in a time of war right so i think it's i think it was it was quite a good point and 
that's what I liked about the the game so much is like a, it's the craftedness of uh, not say the craftedness, but the where they decided to make a point or say something. I liked what they did with the yes. story, right? And, and I I haven't beaten it or I haven't seen the end of it yet, but the fact that it's gotten me quite interested is is quite good. And mm -hmm. the game also, like we were talking last time about what gameplay can do for a story. Mm. And Ghost of Tsushima got me thinking, not necessarily because they do it, but it got me thinking that because um, what you do in that game is that you're in between the big story points, you're helping these villagers, right? Like with your side quest missions and stuff. That's what you're doing right now, right? Yep. And I just made me think that, you know, the thing that's missing in storytelling in movies is that whenever you have these long periods, they always have to do a montage or a cut or something like that, which kind of, it, it spoils the reality of it, right? Have you ever had like in a movie where they're like, hey, call, ring, 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 call, big conversation, and they just immediately hang up and you're, you're like well in real life you would never do that right in real life you would have like an end or something and mm -hmm. then or like in a comedy they would have someone say a joke and then it would cut to the next scene mm -hmm. but in reality it's like okay you there, just said this there is mean a moment thing. after that joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's this moment after that joke and it's like did you just say something super mean does this do they have to like make up afterwards right like um how so, do you walk out of the store after making a scene right <laughs> so i think what's what games could do is um they could allow you to they could explore that moment the moments that actually happen in 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 real life like after a big moment what do you need to do next and you and usually it's like these more mundane little things that build up to these bigger moments because i just kept thinking of like i was watching these streamers play like you have this big attack on tsushima and then you're, you you got to go make your sword and you got to go find mm -hmm. some bamboo and stuff like that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. like not necessarily that it needs to be boring but i do like the idea that in reality things don't need to happen boom 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 yeah you know it could be these moments that are slowing down but maybe you find a way to still be interesting enough but then by the end of the story just because you have these hours in it just the sheer qu quantity of hours changes the story you know it's like when you're playing a battle royale and if you're the last man standing it means more because you spent the first bit of time hiding in the there, bathroom right exactly <laughs> hiding in the bathroom whatever you want to do camping right but in this game it's like you know it 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 means a bit more because you spent that time but you can't just fast forward and and get it to feel the same way right if you do make all the main story missions i guess yeah it's true it's true but you know i wouldn't i didn't say that but i feel like that's not how you enjoy it. the game right it's definitely exactly what you said is that's where you get the enjoyment out of it it's not rushing through the main story quest it's it's being in that world committing to to making your your, your gin the best you can be <laughs> And then having uh, like little moments of his like personality show up and then getting to like have these big moments play out. There are moments in that game or this is something that I, that I feel like I do a lot in games where where like I'm grateful they invented an analog stick because <laughs> I mean, as 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 you have a you have your objective mark like, OK, now I'm going to go fight this guy. and He's waiting for me in a circle. And like, yeah, sure. I can click in the stick and sprint towards him. And like, oh, after you having like this dialogue, or like, no, I am walking with <laughs> determination. <laughs> and like and like after a big fight that I have it, I'm swiping left on my pad to flick the blood off the sword and sheath it slowly. Oh, it OK. Takes so a... tell me more about the gamepad and the usage, because I heard it's like it's it's one of the few times it's not annoying. You know, like... uh, I mean, it doesn't. It's just used to 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 offset commands, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, you have your all your <laughs> it's 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 all flavor stuff. Yeah. So if you swipe uh, if you swipe up on the D pad, it does the guiding wind thing that like does the gust of wind that shows you where the map is going. You swipe left, 
you pull out your flute and you play the song you have equipped and that changes <laughs> the weather oh, uh, okay you swipe this is like ocarina of time or something. <laughs> okay yeah it's actually kind of cool you uh you swipe right yeah. um and then uh, he will either draw or sheath his sword if there is blood mm. on it he will do mm. one of three or four animations where he is wiping the blood on his sleeve which is flicking awesome, it by or the way. Stuff and like <laughs> it's puts great it back flavor in. yeah <laughs> uh and then the down option is to show respect so he does yeah. like a little bow oh yeah, yeah and uh yeah, yeah. if you do it next to a body he will like magnetize to the body and bow to the body <laughs> so um there's a so game there's called a little... jedi sorry, sorry go ahead i was just saying yeah these are just little flavor flavor actions that you do if, if you want to just embody the character more is like the the, the sword blood flick and the bow yeah <laughs> the, i was gonna say there's a game called jedi knight and they have a lot of scenes in that game where there's like a platform and there's a bad guy that's been waiting for you this entire time and they mm -hmm. surround that whole environment to look badass and like you said every time i press the button that flourishes your little lightsaber to the <laughs> like it, it you you because that's what it is like the best moment would be like when you're fighting it you want to feel like you're have a little bit of control and just be able to do that option makes it like okay yeah let's set the mood for this yeah it's that gameplay right it's 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 Jin is not going to go and fight this this evil ronin that has murdered a bunch of innocents it's you are going <laughs> and, and you are gonna do it slow and deliberately yeah. because you're doing it honorably <laughs> or you can be like the guy who wants to be a joke and you're just rolling around the, the cutscene the entire time <laughs> as they're yeah. trying to exposition on you yeah i don't know i think like you and i are both cut from the cut where where, where, where story and motivations easily influence us and we're like yeah i want to be this guy we want to be mm. something we're not <laughs> i just recently started playing divinity 2 uh divinity original sin 2 mm -hmm. and i love listening to the entire voice line like all the like they, they add a lot of good work into the the voice acting and then i love just listening to the just pretending that this whole story is like super real and you know because they i love they it even when voice they, the, they, they voice the pc they voices uh, no the PCs don't have voices. I think they do, but it's weird if you're if you're the character if you have the character selected and you talk to someone, mm. it's suddenly like as if you are the that's your new PC because you have six you have six possible characters you could be. Okay. Um, but everyone else is vo voice acted. Whoa, so that's a lot, lot of dialogue. A lot of dialogue. A lot Holy of dialogue. Crap. And top tier dialogue too. Like when the really? moments are serious, that you can believe that like there's no weird voice acting that throws it off. It's not yeah. like not like not like. So, mass mass Red effect alert. side quest. <laughs> oh, yeah, where they have like eyes that are looking off into the distance. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Ghost of Shima, uh, overall Ghost of recommended, you think? Yeah, you? Ghost of Shima. If you want to play uh, a nice open world game with beautiful environments and enjoyable reactive combat, go for it. I love the costumes, the the Mongol They're, designs. I really, I love them. Your own outfits too. I was yeah, impressed was because. <laughs> you there is dyes for them so you can change some color but there's also three different tiers there's four tiers but the fourth tier doesn't change it yeah. there's three tiers of of outfits and if you buy one color you also buy the colors for all of them but because you're adding stuff they even use different symbols and stuff for like on the cloak so there is oh, a nice. ton of cosmetic options in this game it is baffling yeah. i got more hats than i know what to do with i don't know yeah. where Jin puts all these hats <laughs> I can always tell a game that has uh, not an excess of art, but I would say like that it's art heavy, and mm -hmm. this game feels like it, and that's why like you get so many of these like costumes. I feel because yeah. the the Mongol baddies like 
like okay this game is heavily clearly heavily influenced from the netflix film um marco polo because it was the first uh real real strong hollywood uh adaptation for like mongol the mongol army mm-hmm. and they took that and they 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 developed and they did exactly what games do which is make it badass it's like mm-hmm. okay this is what like like the the real king might look like this but like a video game king would look like this and it's like oh i loved how cool uh the different mongol uh baddies were i yeah. will say th- i will just nitpick but it's not really a nitpick because i understand it's a game right but i will just point it out because i would i find it interesting so the mongol army is uh known notoriously known for uh being a horse-based army like oh, every single person mm. is on horse in the mongol army mm-hmm. that th- that's not to say at this point in time um the mongol army has now pretty much absorbed a massive portion of the world of the known world asia and has already started to, to attack like places like um eastern europe right and mm-hmm. so they've now like assimilated a population which has a lot of foot soldiers, blah blah blah. Um, but then this in this in this game, you know, every Mongol was a, like literal Mongol. <laughs> so that's not something that most most uh, like games or movies portray. Um, mm-hmm. But I just wanted to point out that it's the the one thing that they weren't able to do because this is this is a this is a cookie cutter of a different like Shadow of Mortar, blah blah blah, where they have lots of standing bruisers, right? You're not going to mm-hmm. have an army of horse people. That'd yeah. be a very specific game tailored to it, right? Um, they but, do shoot um, arrows from a horse. I've seen it before. They do, right? But they and never both... chase you on a horseback all that much. You don't do much nope. horse combat. Nope. And then, you would say that if if uh, the Mongols were to invade a country like Japan, you know, that doesn't have as much open plains, that they would be forced to fight in a different way. But I would, I, I just wanted to point out that that, that particular fact about the Mongol army, because that's how they beat like almost everybody um, in the world. The Mongol army was a was it was it so to, to to talk about how incredible the mongol army is in world war one and two the russians were using tactics that were developed and passed down by genghis khan because mm. the thing that made a difference in the mongol army and every army all the way up to the french revolution and napoleon's army is that they would be like you have a you have your king and he's like grabbing all of his homies and he's like listen I got fifty thousand of you guys we're all gonna go out together in one big line because that's how they have to coordinate supplies you have to feed fifty thousand people for a course of like however long the saying has always been an army travels on its belly mm-hmm. because you can only go as far as you can feed your men and fifty thousand people which is a mit like a regular size uh, ancient army would starve in a matter of days if their supply like was cut off right because mm-hmm. there's so many people the difference with the mongol army is because every single person was on horse but not only that every single person in the army had multiple horses that were like dogs to them that they could call like whistles right mm. and so along with that they didn't need to eat from the land they hunted but if they needed to they cut the horses uh blood supply and drank it with horse milk so they can be sustained off of the herd that they bring and as long as they graze their horses their army could go literally anywhere and so their whole strategy was that they didn't need to clump up they would encounter this one big blob of dudes and they would separate like in world war ii you don't you don't push into areas of high firepower you go around and cut off supply 
And that was the strategy the Mongols were using to beat China, the most sophisticated like country of the world at that time, right? Mm-hmm. And they they just they didn't just beat them; they destroyed them to the point that historians, for the longest time, said the Mongols had pe- army size of like two hundred thousand to a million people. Mm. And then they're finding now that it's more like they had twenty to fifty thousand people, and they they conquered. They had the same amount of people as most other armies, and they conquered the entire world, right? Wow. So that was the, that was the only thing that I was a bit. Like, oh, I, I, it would be cool if they could have found a way to work this in, but I can't really blame them for not <laughs> working this. Like, even the movie Marco Polo couldn't have, couldn't show that horseback inside because they were like, oh, you know, we're just used to kung fu fighting and everyone fighting in, on feet, right? So it, it, I just wanted to point that out because I love the, I have a very, a very uh, fast, big fascination with the Mongol army, and I just wanted to point out one cool part that uh, very cool. anyone else is interested in. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Speaking, that's all I got. speaking about big games focusing on art. Mm-hmm. So my topic today, um, I wanted to go through a bit about. So um, I have a lot of these conversations uh, about what I do. Um, so I have friends that are not in the gaming industry because I used to be in marketing, and I tell them, you know, I want to do concept art or I'm in game art, and no one really knows what that means. I I, I was surprised because I guess I was insulated as a nerd. But like the general population doesn't even know like what concept art is. And I realized there was even a bigger misconception or misunderstanding of how art is created in games um, and, or just like a mystery. Because I know I had this kind of same kind of mystery when I was going into the industry. Like when I decided to go become a game artist, I was like, I wonder how like this stuff is made. It seems so magical. Right. So I wanted to talk about the process that AAA Studios use. Um, because I like we talked about this before when we, in the Spider Verse pod, podcast, like I think the process is the most important thing to, for anyone to kind of get out of. Um, and so I wanted to run through kind of what what being a concept artist and uh, developing the art looks like at the beginning of a project, and then what it looks like during the point where we start to make the project. And you know, as someone that works in the games, this is like you know your pre viz phase versus your your main development like phases right mm-hmm. um so i want to talk the first thing that i've seen like you know our studio is going through this now and and a lot of studios are going through it on a regular basis this pre-viz kind of process right and i feel that it's interesting to talk about in terms of what are the strategies that a lot of studios employ uh the general strategies and for artwork like i think that people like a game like the last of us comes out and there's an art dump and people see all this concept art and they think that that's the, the stuff that is used to make the game, right? Mm. And I think that's a little con- deceiving because from my experience or from my understanding of any kind of project, like there's different tiers of art that go into play and, and different um, ingredients that, aren't necess- that don't look anything like the final released art. The final released art is one, one component in that process, but... Um, the things usually start off with like let's say we're starting a new game we we have a new ip we have funding and we want to figure out what the game looks like mm-hmm. um from the art that so on a on a project side i think this is what i want like to kind of get across it's gonna it's gonna be a creative director or someone that's in charge of the creative side of the process but it's also going to be like your your executive producer or other big players of this particular project right and the idea that they're going to be getting together in a smaller basis and they're going to try to make these bigger decisions amongst the games that doesn't need to be discussed 
in terms of a larger audience because usually it's just too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, the image that I have on here is um, this is the kind of stuff that is probably a little too rendered, but conveys the first types of images that are kind of thrown across. They're mood, they're mood paintings or they're mood illustrations or they're high concept types of illustrations. Mm -hmm. If you go to the next slide, this is the this is a, a concept illustration from Spider Verse, right? The movie doesn't necessarily look like this, but the action and type of style is what they're trying to convey. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get everyone on this executive team or whoever this small creative team forces to buy in. And so much of concept art is not just for other artists, but it's to get buy in from, you know, other stakeholders, like whether it's your engineering department to say, mm -hmm. can we make this right? Your gameplay yeah. decide to say, does this make sense with what we want to accomplish? Right. Yeah, it is especially important when 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 the driving force in, can be design. Right. Because mm -hmm. designers may know like like gameplay and, and, and emotion, but if they don't have like an artist background then describing that to other artists can be extremely difficult and sometimes mm -hmm. can lead to to very big miscommunication so yes. having mood pieces like this and establish like there is something very different from almost any other type of shooter you say i want to make a third person shooter um mm -hmm. but i want to i want to also have it be open world and etc etc those are all building blocks but then what there are so many of those in what direction do you want to have that do you want something yeah. slower uh, like like Shadow of the Colossus, which is a third person yeah. open world game, or do you want something more <laughs> crazy like GTA, right? Yeah, right. So what I what I would say is that the the process that like so the the thing that I want to get across is that um, there are different processes, but what always happens is that there is almost like a you know in a in a battle there's a war banner carrier. Yeah. Right? The guy yeah. who carries the war banner, and that's meant to rally your troops around one section that's what it is and not it's not always art like i present this because you know that's my field but sometimes it's like a gameplay demo you know maybe a studio comes up with something that's like hearthstone was made as a demo in unity right even though blizzard has its own like kind of engine and then it became like crazy addictive and then they added the art stuff right mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. that's a whole different thing to like rally around mm -hmm. but the whole idea is that we're trying if, if you're if you're going art first you're trying to rally around an art idea mm -hmm. and even if your art's not first this idea might play a second fiddle so say the gameplay is first this art concept would now have to fit that gameplay right mm -hmm. it has mm -hmm. to do the best job it can but now it has to serve one type of idea right um and so the whole the whole process of art is this kind of hierarchy structure in terms of when do we need to decide what, right? And this is the kind of hardest part that I think that, especially if you're if you're in a project as an artist and you're trying to make decisions yourself, you need to do the thing that almost every creative team does is that they go broader and they go down to the specifics later on. Because mm -hmm. if you go too specific too early on, there's too many details, too many specifics to be worrying about. And it's very easy to get lost um, What's that saying? You get uh, you 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 get fail to see the, the forest and the trees or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's something that's that's basically across almost any sort of development process. Even mm -hmm. if you're just developing apps and stuff, mm -hmm. it's it's always always starts off with what is the overall vision that we want to go mm -hmm. with this. Even before you start designing mm -hmm. specific windows and pages and panels. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you go to the next slide, like within the art team, uh, one one more. You're a little ahead. I'm a little ahead. Uh, can you go back one? 
Uh, oh, can you it. just refresh? I think I might have uh, added something since you last. Uh, I downloaded it, so okay. Okay, don't I wait, don't wait. Right, that, that's that's that slides. That slides fine. But what's your next slide? <laughs> this one. Ooh. Here. Ooh. Uh. Here. Here. Hold on. I'll I'll keep, talk keep, while keep talking, I'll talk while. I'll okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll so do it. okay, the 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 next point was was essentially that um, the art team doesn't need to produce something that's super high detail in this phase. It really needs to the to the main thing that it's trying to do is elicit like emotions, so that you you can steer everyone's general idea. Because what's everyone's going to be doing from this point? Like say. It goes from this initial pre this point, and everyone has this pillar to revolve around. Then the different departments, um, like engineering, art, you know, animation, gameplay, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that go into a game, they're gonna go back to their own areas, and they're gonna start thinking about how they can implement this idea and using what their expertise is. So, like artists are gonna be thinking about what are the what's the asset creation that we need to make. You know, like gameplay uh, people are gonna be thinking about what are the mechanics and how do they fit in. Blah 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 blah. Right. Um, so, the point is that this artwork at the beginning. It, it almost shouldn't be too specific because if it's too specific, people get locked into a certain idea and they're like, well, we need to make it look like this. So mood paintings early on are almost always very abstract and very just like emotional reads. Sometimes they have a character in there, but the character won't be fleshed out at all. And they do this on purpose so that you can you can solidify around the idea and not the design of anything particular, right? Um, but then the next step is that after after all those kind of previous illustrations go through, on the art side, I want to talk about what was what is typically the next step. Because actually, in a project sense, there's a missing gap. What would happen is that you would do this previs art, and then it would go away from you for a while because th at this point, the different executive stakeholders would take charge, like your like head of engineering or head of gameplay or et cetera, et cetera. Um, they would start to make their own plan. And once that plan has been fleshed out in terms of, you know, gameplay wants to try this and engineering says they can do this and this is the tech that art wants. Um, this is just the kind of rough image that I was saying that is useful. Um, go, you can go to the next slide now after this one, actually. Um, the On the art side, the next thing that we will typically do is a series of things. And so the next three images are related. This is a, this is a bit of an exaggeration because this is an artist rendition, but it's you're going to start looking at what the aesthetic of your game is and to, and to do that, or at least your, your game or your movie. And to do that, you're going to do things like how are we going to render it or what the final look is going to be like, right? So the, this is just like rendering different cubes of material. This is more of an artist exercise, mm -hmm. but this is just to represent the idea that if you're if you're if you're a game um, like Ghost of Tsushima and you you know you want to use the this wind idea to help play game or like to flesh out gameplay, you have to make a decision as to how you know how realistic do you need to render everything to get this feel across, right? We talked about this earlier. Ghost of Tsushima has a very illustrative quality to it but it's not necessarily realistic right and you can mm. see it all over the place with the colors that they use being mm -hmm, all over the mm -hmm, place or mm -hmm, the wind being mm -hmm. everywhere right that's a deliberate decision that they're going to be making in the early stages of the of this concepting phase so before they start making any of the specific characters they're going to be exploring themes about how to render everything and the visual style of it um, go to the next frame a part of that is going to be gathering reference this is just three images that I have in my big <laughs> folder of references <laughs> images that like look at any of them and you you there is something fascinating I would say about all of them 
right? Like there's something that would draw your attention. And this is what you want from the reference image that you're you're gathering for your your project. You want something that when you look at it, it 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 has something that you see that you can use, or it has an interesting element to it that you need to extract and add to your own game. And so a lot of artists and a lot of d designers will start off with a big board of things exactly like this, right? I don't know what game you would make from these three images together, but in <laughs> I pointed them all as individual images that have a strong connotation to them that you could possibly explore for your own game. The bottom right, by the way, is a moose that got hit by lightning. No! Yeah, and that skin coloration happened because it's partially charred and partially burnt. And I was like, that looks like a, like a zombie kind of decaying type of monster you would see in Annihilation or something, right? Oh my god. I thought Whereas, it was tattooed the, or something. Yeah, right? And the rooster, that sheen just reminds me of like dragon scales or some sort of mythical beast, right? There is actually an armor, set, an armor die in Ghost of Tsushima. That is oh, that exact like that? same, ex oh. like like exactly the same. That oh. sort of that sort of mixture of the of the the turquoise green, and mm -hmm. almost as if you if you pan around the, this this the uh, this chicken, <laughs> you would see it, the colors kind of ripple. It's mm -hmm. that exact same. I wonder if they use that. Image. Honestly, it, it, I would believe it. It is pin perfect. See, I'll show you it later. You see tons of cross. Okay, yeah, yeah. You see tons of crossover like this because you know. All artists are fan of other artists, and then there's a lot of there's a lot of like cross pollination, which I think is personally what makes like amazing art is to co combine different ideas together, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if you go to the next phase or phrase. next screen now phrase, um, so after this initial reference gathering, this is when you start thinking themes like okay, this is at this point of the development cycle. I would say that every department now has a basic gameplay of what they're hoping to execute. And this is when the artists would actually be working the most. This is when now everyone has like a, a, a checklist. Like we want to put it in the forest. We want this character here and she wants to be a redhead and she needs to be blah, blah, blah. And we need to have an environment. Blah, blah. So this is when the, the artist will go through a big thumbnailing phase where they're doing very quick, very rough. They might look really strong in terms of like uh, like a, a, a non-artist eye, but these are typically designed to be throwawayable because they mm. you they need to make a bunch of ideas, and this is a concept that is so important if you're an artist yourself, is that you know you I, we used to say that you have um, everyone has like thirty bad ideas and one good idea, and it's like panning for gold. You have to mm. pan. You have to get all your bad ideas out, and then you'll find a good idea in 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 the rubble, right? How long would you say each one of these paintings probably took? These um, on the left side there, like from I would say your intermediate concept artist should be spending maybe like two to three hours. Wow, on those, right? Man. But th this is a bit deceptive because uh, the ones I posted, especially the one on the left here, what often happens often happens is that concept artists will do something in a project and show their art directors that will be quite messy but you know a good art director will be able to visualize the concept that you're talking about right mm -hmm. and then because they get told that this is going to go in the art book they're going to flesh it oh, up afterwards okay right and they because they don't want to showcase the messiness etc etc so gotcha every almost everything you see in concept art books has been touched up by the artists themselves <laughs> like no one really wants to let like the fingerprints through it's not, but it's not like it's not it, like the mortal Kombat book where it shows you all the 
napkin sketches for fatalities. Yeah, no, yeah, I would. That's I. I would love. I personally love to see that more because I. I find a lot of information in how in where you don't need to do stuff mm-hmm. as much as where you do need to do stuff, right? So, um, they do a lot of these sketches. Like the ones on the right would take a bit longer. Characters take a lot more time because there's a lot more detail in them. So I would say each of those characters might take two or three hours, right? But the idea is that you know you want to pump a ton of these out. So that you can kind of compare and there are strategies that you can do within each one so like say you don't want to do a three hour uh drawing you could do one hour ones you just have to figure out what the process is so that you can do three one hour ones Hmm. and maybe that's better it's always gonna be a different number per artist per art director how many they want to see but almost universally it's uh accepted that the more thumbnails the more early process you do the higher quality you're gonna get Mm -hmm. it's just like having more iterations and more tries to get something good right yeah um and then from that phase on so after you have the thumbnail sketch and people will depict one of these and say that's the environment we want to do or that's the character we want to do you can go to the next step step which is um in this case i'm using characters as an example is that they're now going to flesh out um this particular character's emotions oh for environments it might be props right or angles um, and so the concept is that once you pick your, f- the first characters that are, are going to be done, or the first things that are going to be done in art side in general, are going to be the most important parts of your game. So, you know, if this was a game like Rogue Squadron, it's going to be your ships, right? Instead of your, your characters, right? And they're mm-hmm. going to have, instead of expressions, they're going to be like, you know, cockpit up and wings up or something like that, right? Um, I want to see my ship expressions. Oh, yeah. I want to <laughs> see what an X-Wing looks like when it's sad. <laughs> when it's sad, when it's molding. <laughs> Um, so this is the next step and this is essentially as a, an additional way to help the animators but also confirm internally does this thing have the depth that we need it to be because usually if it's a main character your character has to show the most emotions if it's a key environment it has to be able to do everything that you want your environment to do right so you're exploring the the options of this design that you've made earlier hmm. right hmm. and then it won't be until after these options are explored and people are okay with everything that's being decided that they move on to the next step. And this is what typically you see in game release books is like the finished, the finished, not finished, but like rendered out version. This is probably like a, you've heard the concept of a vertical slice of a game before, <laughs> right? Yeah. Can you explain? Cause then no. Vertical slice, vertical slice is basically an encapsulation of all your core gameplay on a post or like an or like an alpha level of art quality Mm -hmm. and the idea is just that you want to be able to capture this one moment and say "Mm, yeah in this one snapshot this is how i want it to look or play or whatever it Mm. is right it's supposed to be representative of what the rest of the game should be the the bar that you're trying to hit for everything yeah and exactly it will encapsulate all your core pillars yeah and exactly, this is the step that, this is where the, the art step is. It, it, you want to give at least a few super high quality images as blueprints for the rest of the game. And then each one individually, though, would probably have like a character turnaround that's fully rendered. And this time they'll have characters that are colored. This is time they'll have all their armor f- like functionally displayed. This is These are the designs that are meant to give be given to the next step of artists, which is... 3d artist or you know animators or anything else Um, because the whole idea of concept art in video games is to be handed off and it's just an intermediary tool 
I think that's something that's a, a lot of people misunderstand about concept art is that it's there's it doesn't serve any purpose on its own. It's not an illustration. You're not going to sell this thing, right? It's just mm -hmm. a blueprint so that other artists can do their work yeah. and that's like a key thing that a lot of artists that get into the game industry doesn't understand is that so much of what you're doing in a studio is you're one tool for another person mm -hmm. right and it's a combination of all these people in all these different like roles and and um and and skills that like push together and build this massive uh probably one of the most complicated undertakings in like the civilized world that's like non-military i would say like i don't like or, or, build, like, or building a bridge yeah <laughs> well i think that it's so much more complicated in some ways because building a bridge has a history of precedent in terms of like you know what worked and you know what hasn't worked and you know what you should could do now and what your options are whereas in games someone could be like i want you to make like a wormhole game where you play as a worm that needs to eat little monsters as it goes around the wormhole and you're like what the like what kind of what do i build what's the building block of that right so mm. i would say that there's a uniqueness in terms of in games that there are unique problems that like you don't see anywhere else in the world and it challenges people in ways that don't really expect to be challenged right mm. yeah um anyways the next thing i want oh yeah so the next Thing was just a an example of uh, the fleshed out characters, but on the character side. So these these Ur are back, <laughs> Um So I was gonna get into the next step after this, but I realized that the three D side alone has like another thirty steps, right? Like there's so, and that's the kind of tricky thing about art is that. In, especially in a video game, like a lot of people underestimate and, and movies too, but people underestimate how many different steps there actually are. And like one person will usually handle like one or two steps, right? Because after this, like they, you would bring it to probably, let me, let me, let me do the math in my head. Like on a triple A studio, like Mortal Kombat, I would, I would say probably like six more people. Are going to be handed this particular asset off in one form or another mm. um, before the complete asset is ready to be animated. That's not even to get not even towards the animator. That's just to get the asset made in three D to have the textures, to have the topology, to have the normal maps, to have the the whole thing done. That would be my guess in terms of how many people it takes. Mm. I think that would be my guess for for our game too in Gears of War mm. for any particular asset if we didn't use a outsourcer for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's, that's pretty much all I wanted to do for now. I want to go through like a larger portion of it, but it's going to be, it's going to need to be like a web of different industries. Cause it's going to be like animation begins to like the thing about concept art is that once it gets to this point, it branches off to like a hundred different industries. So like animation will start working at this point, even though they don't have the final model, they'll be starting to work on it. Modeling will begin to work on it. Almost all the other, like you know, uh, sound design, but they all be, they all can get freed from that point because now concept art has kind of shown that rallying art pillar in terms of design that everyone needs to like push towards and uh, unlocks the ability to the next steps to go. Yeah. And after that point, you actually don't see concept art in the game development stage for a very long time. You only see it in aspects of maybe they need to change something or they need to get fixed. Mm -hmm. But that at that point, it's like that's when the game development is kind of on its own like running phase. And you don't and, and, and then a lot of concept artists are actually kind of let 
either their contract expires or they are moved on to another project before their particular project that they started even ends. Do they then move on to marketing or anything like that? Most of the time, like or, a, or not. Depends on the studio. So a lot of times studios will balance different projects so that they can keep with this swing of going up and down. You know yourself that in, in most studios, when they get to the point of main development, they like bulging up, right? It's like a bear hibernating. They have to get as many workers in because they have to like deal with this big amount of work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But then they often don't want to hold that many employees because when they go to the next game, you don't need those people until the concept artists are done, right? Mm -hmm. So... Ideally, in most, in a larger studio, they'll be able to shift you around to different projects. But in smaller studio, it is not uncommon to just contract to hire one main artist as your principal artist, and then have the others on contractual basis that come in and support your main artist. Mm. Um, I always found it kind of interesting that like the art hierarchy has to work like a military hierarchy in so many ways. Mm. Like you know, it, it in terms of like organizational structure it's a bit fascist in a lot of ways because the whole idea is that you need to funnel upwards to one creative director it's so clear that you can't have tons of people pushing in multiple directions at the top mm. it, there's just numerous examples where it like it doesn't work and the whole idea mm. of too many kids in the uh, cooks in the kitchen is so real for art mm. but what does work is a series of it's a hierarchical structure of trust it's not fascist in the way, in the sense that, like you know, it's totalitarian because it all revolves around a certain idea of trust. And the idea of trust is that you trust the person above you to give you the right directions because you can't see the entire picture because mm -hmm. the picture is way too big for any one particular person, mm -hmm. right? And so the trust needs to come into the fact that your superiors need to be better than you. You have to trust that, but then it has to go down the other way, and that your superiors need to make your their their subordinates better. Like a mm. good a good art leader will not be doing nearly as much hands-on art, but they should be a force multiplier to all the artists underneath them, right? Mm. So it's like in this way, you can have this pyramid and everyone's giving their power to the person up top. And the then Genki it, Dama. A, yeah, and then it's all <laughs> multiplying, right? Like all the way to the top. And then if, if you have your structure like done really well, you can get one amazing creative uh, like vision across and it's very rare that you can have that split like I would say the fact that the, you know the Russo brothers being one of the only only famous like duo directors that can work together like is, is a fact most directors in movies are singular right and so yeah. it's the same thing in any creative industry it's for some reason everyone knows you can only have one person steering but then everyone else can contribute in their own ways but they have to forego a lot of decision making mm. and in that sense, that's what I kind of like. I appreciated as an artist is that you have to give up a lot mm. of control, but if you're in like a good environment, it feels great because you're 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 like you want to give that power up because you just believe in the person above you so much, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So I just found kind of found it really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That was incredibly informative. All right. Cool. Really appreciate that. All right. So uh, should we go on to our? rando sections for a little bit here uh yeah I, we can spend for our allocated 10 minutes <laughs> um okay so i realized yeah do you have anything i was just gonna ask what you were what were you gonna spin up afterwards oh. now now that ghost of tsushima has passed because me i'm 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 my objective is to finish ghost of tsushima 
and um, yep, I think yep. afterwards I'm gonna I'm getting a Yakuza remastered collection, so I'm gonna start up on Ooh. Yakuza Five again. You're you're diving into the Japan theme, eh? <laughs> yeah, I figured I might as well. Also, it was twenty dollars off, and uh, I got Yakuza halfway through great. Yakuza Five on PS3, and then they announced the remastered collection. I'm like, well, why am I gonna continue it Ooh, true, here? True. So, true. did they change I... a lot in the remastered? Is it just like a it's a new dub? Game? It's it's a new it's oh. a new translation. Oh. Uh, and they added in a bunch of content that was previously cut because it was oh. deemed too hard to translate. Oh, that's so, weird. Holy crap. I didn't... So did the Japanese version have different maybe... content? Yeah. Oh, that's wow. I didn't so that. so I, I might it might only have been Yakuza 3 that they retranslated because I know 8-4 Play did the translation for some of them. I know they... I didn't look this up, so I should probably shouldn't talk about it. But I know they <laughs> did update the translation for some of the games, and yeah. they added in content that was previously cut. And I know that's one hundred percent the case for Yakuza Three. I'm not sure about the other ones. Okay, I've done well, Yakuza. Exciting. Yeah, I've done Yakuza Three and Four, and and Five was I had Six, but I needed to finish Five, and I've been stagnating on it because I've been. I have not played any of them. Oh my god! Yeah, is it is if I were to start, which one would you want me to start on? One? It, don't tell me one. How long ago? How long ago was one? <laughs> well, they remade one. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah, that makes a like a year and a half ago, and okay. then Maybe last year they remade one. the second one, and now oh, you so have they're on that phase. Well, they don't need to remake Yakuza Three because they just remastered it instead of remaking <laughs> it because it was already a PS3 game, so they just oh, up, yeah, upped yeah. the resolution, retranslated mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And uh, added in some stuff back in, so now you can play all the games oh. on on the PS4 platform. Eventually, I assume they'll bring it over to PC because Kiwami One and Two, which are the remakes, are on PC. Same with Zero. I would recommend starting with. I would, if you are gonna be invested in this franchise, mm, no, no, I no, would no. say what's start the best with... one to get me in it? Forget the uh, if you want to go through the entire franchise. No, no, get the best zero, one. Do you think? Zero, Z- do zero. Zero. Zero is the and one what... that you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get a very up to date combat okay. engine. Um, with some fun stories. It's definitely funner if you have played the previous games, but it's a prequel, right? So you're not going to be left behind too much. Okay, that's good. There'll be characters that show up and be like, oh, so this is what they were doing before the It'll just be a surprise when I play one then, actually. Yeah. Instead of it being a surprise in zero, like, oh, that's who this character is? You're surprised by that (laughs) character that's already there. Yeah. It's just that one of the characters, one of the play, there are two playable characters in zero, and one of them was a supporting character throughout the franchise. Yeah. And his representation in in Zero is very different from how oh, he appears okay. in, in one. So, like, that's the surprising part that you go like, oh, I thought he was going to be completely different. But it turns out he was right. a very different person. Right. This is like... Um... Never mind. I, 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 never mind. I thought I had an example, but I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. So cool, then, uh, that's cool. what I'm going to do until August 18th when uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator comes out. Oh, my God. Are you, are you a big flight sim guy? I want to say I am, but in reality, I'm not. I love the idea of them, but I don't think I have that many fly hours in it's, them. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. I, 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 tried, pl- I tried playing fighter. a DCS combat digital combat simulator because a friend was is very much into Dude. it 
And they say, you should try it, you should try it, you should go different. I'm like, okay, I jump into the plane, I have a startup guide, and I'm like, I'm flicking all the switches, and then the plane starts yelling at me in Russian, and I get scared, and I alt head four. <laughs> it's like, how did you I, get off the ground? I'm like, no, it started yelling at me in Russian, I didn't know what to do. I thought I was going to ruin the plane before I even got off the ground. I realized my mistake with flight sims, like, that when I hear the word sims, I, I now know to avoid it, because uh, I first tried one in VR. And I was like, because I wanted to like, you know, play VR, and it'd be cool to do a flight sim, mm -hmm. right? And then mm -hmm. I was just like, man, it's so freaking complicated to fly anything. There's so many buttons. There's so much terminology that like you not intuitive at whatsoever. Like it's, and you realize like, oh, this is too much for me to take in in VR. Did you save the flaps? Did you configure your airlines or whatever? And then the, the <laughs> pre-flight checklist, and then they. Which I find amazing because they they can train you to fly actual planes and stuff, which is I think is a great. But it's like truck. You have to look to for it outside of the game though, and that's what I'm hoping with Microsoft Flight Simulator, the, the new one. Maybe it will it will like actually give you a pre-flight checklist on on your great. computer, that and and you great. can follow through that way. Because tutorialization of those things is you have to look oh. all the way back, right? Yeah, you have to. But I love watching videos. Training. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love watching the videos of people who are air traffic controllers in real life being aircraft traffic controllers in flight in flight simulator and Wouldn't they're just tired? Goof, goofing around and it's and oh. it's and it, and they get it's to great. like crash all their planes finally like yeah that's right <laughs> oh my god terrible um i i have to finish some freelance work and for me i realize that uh i'm at the point right now where i do not want to do any more freelance work yeah whatsoever it's, it's it's the problem for me now is that it's like it's like a numbers game okay like if i like i in my spare time like to make uh like artwork that i sell either as prints or as canvases or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like do i spend the time to do a piece of freelance where i have to first off i have to please one person it's not a lot of people but mm. i had to please one person and this person like is not sorted as an artist the way like a regular like art industry person would be it's like a random person and so it's like having an art director that is a random person and then you know it's oh it then you lose your conflict. trust right <laughs> you lose your trust or you pretty much just this is what happens in any art situation if you have an art director that doesn't know what they're talking about and they tell you to do something what has to happen is that either the artist below doesn't listen to you which they're going to get fired so that's not going to happen or they forego their decision making and thought process to take in your answer and the big problem with that is now they don't know what's reality they don't know what's good and bad because they have to find a way to sync up this reality that you presented that's not true and they have to make it work so it's like saying mm. that he wants you to incorporate something that's going to make your art worse Mm -hmm. But you're supposed to trust them that it's going to make it better. And then when it makes it worse and you do it, you lose that trust. And then now not only do you lose that trust, but now this person isn't trying to make it better and using their own skill set to improve the art. They're trying to please that person and, get, mm -hmm. and try to guess what he wants, which is mm -hmm. a completely different thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the game of freelance is that you're trying to guess what this one person wants. And for mm -hmm. me, it's not like that's the biggest issue. The biggest issue is that it's a trade-off because I can do that or I can paint whatever I want, make my own Carl's as an artist and try to work on that and then sell it for anyone who happens to like it, which is a much easier proposal than trying to like make one person love one painting or I you can find make one painting. 
and then you find, find it's just a, a bunch of people that love it. <laughs> do you find it's a crowded environment for you to sell something that you just create on your own, or are you at the level? I would say where you... it's a very crowded environment, but I would say that I personally have found um, or have been able to uh, get to a certain level that can stand above. So, like, if you imagine a bell curve, um, you know, a certain at a certain level you're going to be at a certain percentage above the game that allows you to stand out. Um, I don't know what that threshold is. It's very hard for... It's so hard for uh, an artist because at a certain point, you become out of touch with the the, the non-artist person and you can't see what what looks good to them doesn't look necessarily good to you because you're kind of a cr critic now, right? You mm -hmm. might be right, but they doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. They like what they like, right? <laughs> um, so... I would say that it's it's crowded, but there's just so much of um, people not being able to connect with the art that they like that there's such mm. a high chance you'll find someone that hasn't been able to find someone else. You might not be the best yet, right? But they'll still love your work, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think what happens is as an artist, when you're younger or you're smaller, you have a smaller pool of fans, right? And then as you progress as a stronger audience, your pool expands naturally, even if you're not targeting anyone, just because now you're palatable to a, a larger portion of the population because you're doing the fundamentals better, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, but that's not to say it's a crowded field in terms of you want to make a living out of it, mm -hmm. which let's just say anything is very difficult to make a living out of, especially any kind of hobby. Mm -hmm. And art is no kind of exception. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, like I, I, I realized early on in my art career that like you have to be able to be willing to be bad to be good, right? Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, not succeeding with paintings and drawings. And then now I'm at a point where I've kind of figured out the things to do right and wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not to say that I've learned everything because I'm realizing now in my own art career, like, okay, like you just said, do, do are my paintings good enough to get noticed right like mm -hmm. i would say yes but now my next problem is like where do i get them noticed right like, mm -hmm. that's a mm -hmm. whole different problem that you kind of have to answer and it's almost just as valid in terms of your own artwork as some of the other questions right do, do you feel it would be do they ever touch on that on did you go to school you went to school yeah. for art yeah do they I ever did, touch uh, on yeah. on getting noticed for your, for your, the, for your so, working. <laughs> yeah, they, the, the notice me senpai lesson was very short, <laughs> you know, like I would say that, um, so I went to a, um, a private art school and that's not to say it's fancy. It's to say that it's like run for money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like, and so it was a one year program. It was a, um, compact program and, uh, you know, it's not like a four year art university degree or something like that. Mm -hmm. So and I would say that still that there's very little emphasis on your business plan. I would mm. say there's more now because there's a lot more artists that have gone out there and realized that they, they need more. And so they bring it back in, but there it's just like, it's kind of like the school system, you know, they don't have enough emphasis on the actual skills that you would need to use, which let's just like, you might not want it, but marketing is very, very important. Right. And I come from a marketing background, so I'm fortunate to have that like, that basic foundational understanding, but like it's super important, even if you are in the art industry, not uh, selling your own art and you want to be an industry worker, like you need mm -hmm. to be able to promote yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You can kind of say that's any job. Um, but I, I would say that's, that's like a missing skill. 
I would hate to say that that like I'm sad they don't teach that, but my truth sadness is that I th I think that there's a massive flaw in the art teaching educational like community right now. Um, there are very few high quality and reliable art schools um, that are around, like art centers in New York, and that's kind of like the Harvard type school for art people, right? Mm -hmm. But like in Vancouver, there's not there's not n anywhere nearly as strong and i would say that art has become a has moved to a new phase of the digital medium right and now there's this massive chasm between traditional artists and digital artists in that they're almost different industries you have hmm. your, your digital artists that are like me who work in games and film that have to have digital and then there's the painters that want to be more traditionalist and do stuff that's like where the painting itself is the point of your work, right? Mm. <clears throat> um, but that's that that means that for the past however how many hundred years, all art and education has been made for traditional, and now there's this massive jump in technology, and there's no proper training for artists. All the artist training that I see now is gonna it, it's the type of education that you get that will be irrelevant in one two to three years if you don't get a job in the industry right away. Well, or, or very soon. That? In what it's way? Because, it's because the um, well, let's for example, when I first started like school, Unity just just got like into industry hands, right? Mm. And before that, Unreal, uh, if you wanted to use, uh, I think it was Unreal at three at the time. If mm -hmm. you wanted to use their engine um, on your own game, you had to buy their proprietary. License, uh, software, yeah. which was like a million dollars or something like that. It was, some, it, was, it was something larger than the average person. Prohibitively expensive. Yeah, and then you, and then the moment I graduated, the entire industry shifted to um, uh, these game engines that anyone can, teams can build out of, and smaller teams can be made out of. Right. Mm. So that shift happened, and then suddenly people needed to know Unity. Like so many jobs came out and needs to know Unity. If you if I graduated a year before that, I wouldn't have had that skill set at all, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thing that I'm trying to say is that because the the technology is growing so fast, so much of the school is based around telling you a set of instructions on how to do this exact same thing properly with this exact same software, mm -hmm. and it's missing so much of the fundamentals that was in traditional media. And mm -hmm. traditional painting and artistry, like mm -hmm. some of the more foundational stuff that took you a lot longer to learn, but they're not being taught nearly the same degree because the schools have to be separated. Because you know, you can't teach a a painter has very little to teach someone that needs to work in Photoshop or like in 3D Max or something like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what I found, and this is actually something I've been I've been thinking a lot about doing um some particular content on, is that I want to talk about what the i always say in my head there's like in art there are like infinity stones right there's like <laughs> these different concepts that that all represent basic fundamentals but if you master them you literally are thanos and can create worlds and destroy worlds because you can just paint them right yeah right and so i wanted to break down what those concepts are because i didn't learn this in school i had to piece it together through working in the game industry mm. over the years right mm. And then I want to break those particular pieces down and then find and see if there is a better way to teach those concepts um, and not to teach those concepts, but teach how an artist can progress. Like I, I, I wanted to essentially teach the Bushido style of art that will help you improve regardless if you're at the beginning or at the end. 
because mm. I think that art is I, like really good artists are actually a process. I see them as people who have a process that's hidden, but they have a process to that they, they can teach themselves and um, gather information. And what most people see is the results of what they pump out. Right. Mm. But what I see is someone in the middle of their career and even a master is like, I need to learn this next skill. How do I figure mm. out this next skill? And so the, what makes a master is that they know how to do it. They might take some time, but they have a guaranteed process to move to the next step consistently. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that a lot of artists can learn, but it's so much harder to teach because you can't, you can't just be like, Hey, follow these five steps. It's like, you need to have this mind frame and way of thinking that will allow you to solve these problems yourself. Right. Um, obviously that's very, very difficult, but I think that's kind of, one of the only solutions in this field because if you if you teach someone a, a course and the thing that they're learning is irrelevant in like two or three years like you're just teaching them a sequence of buttons to press right yeah like how i wish that i had learned something that was in like i had learned a few things but i wish i learned more things that were able to stay with me as i grew in my yeah. career that were like foundational that i could keep growing in yeah that's that's interesting and unfortunate that it doesn't happen for your industry because definitely in computer science uh, at least where, where I studied, they made a point and they didn't want to teach you a tool, right? Mm-hmm. So even in the first year, you don't do C, C++, mm-hmm. is you learn, a, you learn fundamentally what it means to program something. You right. learn fundamental programming concepts that, and you learn how to learn a programming language. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. what do you search for? Like what, 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 is it, what is a standard library that a programming language has? Where do you go looking for that? What are the mm-hmm. core fundamentals of, of, of methods and functions and what makes good programming, right? Mm-hmm. What is and it's, then it's, and then they teach basic concepts that you're gonna use anywhere, if statements, recursion, yeah, uh, memory management. And then only when you get to like intermediate levels, it's like, okay, here's C plus plus, here's how it manages memory, here's how C manages memory, here's what, yeah. what how a garbage collector works. You're, but you're but there, you're it, set up now. You're set up now. You under you know how to learn C, yeah, because they taught you how to learn any programming language beforehand. It's uh, it's actually I really think that it's essentially the scientific method, but for applied in different industries. Mm. And that's what I think that's what like art is very scientific in a lot of ways. I think that's the especially in the digital era now. Like you can't get into a side where you're like I'm one of those freeform artists that you know like can just do everything from my own head and not need to utilize technology at all like mm. I, the yeah that, that i think that was i think that's just a bit of a, a ages past now and you you need to be able to translate your skills to a digital world and and so i the way i say art is so scientific because it's all about trial and error the thumbnailing process that i was telling you about that's a trial mm-hmm. and error thing you're just getting more more test subjects to be able to get data in point, points for right Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's I think it's very natural that the programming side would pick on that up like right away. It's so like processed. Like you're essentially when you're building a game, you're de- building a process. It's literally right? derived from, <laughs> yeah. from the scientific method, right? Yeah. It's a science. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I, that's that's where I came from from an art. I was I do want to put those videos together, but I need to like put my all my thoughts down in one place before I can kind of yeah put everything together. I think that would be useful. Yeah. That'd be useful. Put put something back out in the world would be fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All yeah, that's right. it for me. I think that's I think that's a good time for us to wrap up. Yeah, let's do it. In a very successful 
I, I was too busy saying it in, in, in Japanese <laughs> that I didn't even say we've made it to episode seven. Yo, lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. Yeah. Uh, here's two, many more in the future. Yeah. As we keep bringing all this content and this great music that I'm playing right now from Adrian Talents, press start. Uh, everyone that watches, everyone that follows us can find us at our respective Twitter handles. And keep practicing your art, keep playing video games, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and find us right here, Beyond the Pixel. Bye, guys.